Welcome to EU Code Week Podcasts. We bring coding, computational thinking, robotics, and innovation closer to you, your community, and your school. Hello, everyone, and welcome. As always, we are your hosts, Eugenia Casariego and Ariana Blasik. The EU CodeWeek team is here to provide you the latest training, resources, and materials in order to transform education and help teachers bring coding and programming into the classroom. As you know, CodeWeek's goal is to support teachers involved in digital education, as well as finding the best methods and practices for both teaching and learning how to code. That's why this episode will focus on self-learning as opposed to being taught how to program and why programming is similar to writing. And more than that, we'll also touch on how vocalizing code can be used as a teaching and learning tool. So listeners, you may wonder vocalizing code. Also, we know it as code phonology, um, about which we'll discuss with our guest today. It's just reading the code out loud, which can help pupils understand the code in the same way that reading can also help students understand the, its meaning and the grammar behind. Today, our guest speaker is Felina Hermans. She is a CodeWeek ambassador in the Netherlands and associate professor at the Leiden Institute of Advanced Computer Science and the head of the Programming Education Research Lab, an initiative that researches programming education. Welcome to the CodeWeek podcast, Feline. Can you tell our listeners more about your work and experience? Yes, absolutely. So my name is Feline Hermans. I'm a social professor at Leiden University in the Netherlands. And there I research how to teach programming. And that has many different aspects, of course. It has parts that are didactic, like how do we explain things? But it also has technical parts, like what is the best programming language, for example? What is the best methods and tools, technical tools that we can use to teach programming? So I'm really in the middle between technical aspects of programming and programming languages and didactical aspects, teaching aspects of programming. So when we talk about the didactical aspects, if we compare learning how to program by ourselves on our own, and when we compare it to being taught how to program, what would you say what the advantages and disadvantages of both of these methods are? I would say there are not really advantages to teaching yourself. Then there, there are only disadvantages, I would say, to teaching yourself because there's so many things that can go wrong, right? You can misunderstand something and no one is there to correct you. So sometimes people that have taught themselves have misconceptions for a very long time. So they're really sure that they know how to do it. And there's also no one to encourage you or to comfort you if you're really stuck, right? No one can say, oh, that's okay. Maybe you need a break or this is how you can advance. And, and of course, this might sound a bit surprising because there are many people that have self-taught them themselves programming i am a person that has taught themselves programming to a certain extent when i was young so it's definitely possible but there aren't necessarily advantages it's more something you do if there's no other choice right and when i was a kid there was no code week and there were no adults in the, in my vicinity that could really help me with learning so there was like no other choice and i did really want to learn programming there are some other advantages as well of course to having the freedom to explore things on your own, which also can still happen if you're teaching, right? It is nice that if, you, if you're teaching yourself, then you are free to choose problems that you really care about. So that is nice. So you do get like that spark and that motivation going. But yeah, if you can avoid it, I wouldn't recommend it because it's so easy to get stuck. And if no one helps you, you'll be stuck or confused forever. And frustrated, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. 
Especially, yeah, with coding, right? And that, that can be a problem. Someone that actually helps you understand and how to debug and how to actually find the mistakes in the codes. I think that that's, yeah, that resonates. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, it's programming can be so hard, right? You, you misplace a, a quote or a closing bracket or in Python, a space, right? You put a space in the wrong place and the program crashes. And then you compare it to what's in your booklet or what's on the YouTube video. And you're like, well, it's exactly the same. And it's just a difference between one of one space. And now you're talking about motivation and, and just the thing that encourages students to, to learn. And so, you know, there's these all of these learning theories that, that try to explain how people learn. And then there's these ideas that some people are more or students are more visual learners. Some are more prefer more like other type of material. Some prefer just to interact. Some of them prefer just to have more challenges. So in your opinion, when it comes to the classroom, what's is there an approach that an approach to learning and teaching that's more suitable for a whole class uh, and not just for an individual? How do we approach then that idea if it were true that each kind of a student has their own preference for for how to grasp the information? Yeah, so it, it is definitely true that students have their own preference. So that is true. But research shows that it's probably not true that their preference is actually true, right? So students might say, I am a visual learner, but no one is a visual learner or a textual learner or an auditory learner. For effective learning, you need to get the combination of both. And actually the situation is even more dire because students often pick something that's not the best for them. So you can imagine that a student that is a weak reader, given the choice, they will pick pictures for sure over text. But then what happens is they are, get less exposure to reading, right? Where a student that's maybe a medium good reader will pick reading and then will get more reading practice. So what is just important in teaching for the whole class is that you have a variety. That's some exercise require reading and other require listening and other require looking at visuals or creating visuals. You really need this combination to make sure that students don't self-select that maybe is their most comfortable, their most preferred path, but isn't their most effective path. And because everyone does, does need to have all skills, right? Everyone needs to be able to read and listen and interpret visuals in the real world. So you do need to make a combination of these things and that will be the best. At the beginning, we mentioned code phonology. Can you explain to our listeners what code phonology exactly is. Code phonology is the idea that you can speak about code in a certain way and that it's important for your students to talk about code explicitly. So, for example, if we take Python as a programming language, there are different symbols. So you have an equal sign for assignment. So you can say something like, name is Ariana. So what do I say there in between? Do I say is or do I say equals? Or do I say gets assigned, right? Name gets assigned the value Ariana. And what we found in observations with students and teachers is that students often don't have a really good systematic way of calling these things. And teachers can also be quite sloppy. And that students then also don't really deeply understand the differences. So maybe it is a good idea to, to give these things explicit names and to agree upon that and to also practice this with your students. Like if I mean equal equal i will say equal equal or double equal or whatever equivalent you might have in your own natural language so that's something we found that it really matters how precise you are specifically of course because the computer will also be precise right we as people have to practice this level of preciseness because otherwise programming will be really hard and that's all is learning how to speak machine <laughs> yes it is learning how to speak machine it is practicing the preciseness level of the machine yeah, you mentioned for teachers. So do you think this is an approach that can be used in the classroom? And, and what advantages do you think then it, it can have? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we did a study, an experiment in which we were the teacher, me and co-researchers. And with one group of students, we practiced this extensively. We had students read it aloud with us. So we said, for, I, in, range, open bracket. We practiced this. And, and yeah, it, it did really work. So the students that were in this experimental group where we had them practice this code aloud, yeah, they were better at memorizing code, which is, yeah, it's just saying something is a very good way to remember the lines because you heard and said said that many times. So if I'm understanding you correctly, Feline, so it's it's about the main advantage is to memorize rather than to be kind of able to use it swiftly, but it's about to memorize the code, right? Yeah, but of course, if you want to use it swiftly, it needs to be sort of at the tip of your fingers. Suppose you're solving a certain algorithm, right? Do you write, you know, uh, printing all prime numbers or reversing a string or something? If it takes you lots of mental energy to remember the syntax of a for loop, then this energy is not spent on solving the problem. Mm -hmm. So of course, it's totally fine sometimes you look something up i also don't know the entirety of python by heart but most of the things i do know and and especially for learners it can be really hard if you have to think about the problem and you also have to remember the programming language and solving the problem this is hard this is not something we can easily fix that just takes lots of practice but remembering the programming language is something we can relatively easily fix so so let's mm -hmm. fix that so that kids have more other learners this is true for adults as well so that adults and any novice that they have more room left for problem solving and they don't spend their mental room remembering what bracket to use because that's just not effective. Of course. Very interesting. My next question would be, is reading code harder than writing it? This is a great question. So yes and no. Right? I'm, I'm going to cheat by saying yes and also no, uh, because the answer is, is nuanced. So I don't think it's necessarily harder. I mean, code writing is very hard. And if you compare it to natural language, reading should be easier, right? Reading the newspaper is easier than writing a newspaper article. So you would expect that code reading also is easier than code writing. However, in most teaching practices, and this is true at any level, like from primary school to university, but also professional education, we always practice writing code. That's what we do, practicing writing code. Here, whatever this is, Scratch or Python or C++, here, children or learners or students, this is a variable. Now you make a program with a variable. Hardly ever the assignment is, this is a variable, here are 10 programs that have variables. Read them, summarize them, remember them, circle the variables in this program or whatever you could do, right? So yes, reading is harder, but that is mainly because we don't practice reading. I think that's a good comparison and a good analysis, you know. When we talk about programming, we call languages the different ways to write how to code, such as Python, for example, that you've mentioned in your examples. And so we were wondering, does the relationship between a language such as English or such as Dutch, for example, and a programming language such as Python stay just in the name or, or is there any other similarities between it? And is there also similarities in how we teach and how we learn languages or spoken languages and programming languages? Yes, absolutely. So definitely there are many comparisons between programming languages and languages languages, which we computer scientists often call natural languages, English or Dutch or French. So yeah, I mean, both programming languages and natural languages have words and the words have meaning. 
right? So a word signifies something. And there's something like syntax. Uh, you cannot say print and then a closing bracket in Python. This is true in English as well. If I say uh, Harry walks in the streets, then it is walked. It is not walk or walking. It's not Harry walking in the streets, right? There are rules that you have to follow. And if you break the rules, then someone will be confused. So there are many similarities. Of course, there's also differences. B because if I say Harry walking in the street, you could sort of guess what I mean. Whereas Python would be like, beep, beep, error. So yeah, there are, there are definitely differences. And then coming back to the second part of your question about learning, I do think there are many similarities, but I also think as a computer science education field, we haven't really used all those similarities very well. And like one of the things that with the phonology that we talked about earlier saying stuff aloud we just know that this really works if you're a language teacher of course right you have students read things aloud this makes sense and there's so many other things that language teachers also do something that i talk about often in programming is the use of flashcards right and like business cards and then on one side you put english and then on the other side you put french and this is a great way to teach yourself French or English. You can do this for programming as well. If you already know Python and you want to learn Java, you just put Python on one side and Java on the other side. This is an excellent way to practice. Uh, or what I also do with students, I give them a piece of code, but then I remove the method name and I tell them, okay, you have to pick a good name. This is exactly what we do in language class. Like you give students a, a newspaper article and you remove, you remove the headline and you ask them, what is a good headline? So all these types of exercises we know from language class, they can all really work in programming. However, due to, well, various reasons. In our culture, we've really equated learning to program with programming forever. Like that is true, but there are so many other things we can do. And language education is a great source of finding different types of learning activity that we can apply in computer science education as well. Yeah, from what you're saying, it sounds like there's still quite some room to innovate in the way that we teach and that we learn as well coding, right? Absolutely. So on that note, you develop Hedy, which is a gradual programming language. And can you tell us a little bit more about it and why do you think it's important to learn coding gradually? So imagine a five or six-year-old that are learning to read, that are learning to write. What is the first thing that they do? Well, they just write letters, right? We don't require them to do words or sentences or long sentences or punctuation. So gradually, we change the, the rules for kids, right? First, you do letters, then you do one word, and then maybe you do small sentences like cat in tree. That's not a real sentence, Right. And then it doesn't end with a period. It doesn't start with a capital letter. But we say, yes, this is this is good for now. This is the level we expect you to be at. And then slowly we add rules. Now, if we compare that to programming, specifically if we go to textual languages, right, like Python or JavaScript, there's no easy mode. There's nothing you can do that is easy. If you want to just print something in the screen, if you just want to say, hello, code week people, then you have to do print. And then it doesn't start with a capital letter. You have to spell it correctly. Open brackets, quotation mark. Hello, code week people, quotation mark, closing brackets. That's a lot of work. And that's a, there's a lot of ways you can mess that up. That is a lot of what we call cognitive load. So it's very hard for your brain to focus on all these little things. The whole idea of Henny is that we gradually ramp up, just like with language education. So with our first level, you don't say print, open bracket, and quotation. You just say the word print, and then hello, code week, and then th that works. And there are various benefits to that. Firstly, it's just easier to learn. 
Also, because there are not so many rules, technically for us, it's really easy to guess what you mean. Because there are not so many things you can do in the first level. There are just five options, five commands. So if you make a mistake, a spelling mistake, we just guess which, which one of those five you wanted. And we suggest the correct code to you. This is not possible in Python because how can Python know what you want? There are so many options in Python. So the whole idea of Hedy is these little gradual steps so that at the end of Hedy, you can do Python. So the latest level, level 18 that we have now, you're secretly, well, we tell you at the end, but secretly, right, you're, you're doing already Python. So we just want to ramp you up to Python slowly. Hedy is based on your experience in teaching programming to kids. How did that influence the interface of Hedy and the structure of this programming language? Yeah, so it, it was really a case of scratching my own itch, right? I was teaching Python to 12, 13-year-olds in the school that I work in. And I was failing. It just, it wasn't working. And, and the sad thing was, it was not, not working for everyone. There was, in a group of 30, there were maybe five or six kids, and they did get it. So for them, the brackets and the quotation marks were, were not a blocker. And then, of course, if kids don't know programming, you know, they don't know if they want to be programmers. So some of them, they didn't see the value. They were like, well, I have to do prints and brackets and quotes, and I get so many errors. And then what can I do? Now I have text on the screen. Right? This is not, not a good reward for the amount of work that I'm doing. So we really had the situation in which some kids made the jump and men, the majority of the kids did not. And it's like, these are smart kids. They should be able to do this. Um, but then just, it wasn't working. So based on that, we actually made Hattie where I was like, well, why do we need the brackets? Why do we need the quotes? Clearly we need them at one point in time, but we don't necessarily need them now. The benefit was that before I was teaching in this school, I was doing a PhD in, in programming language design and, and software engineering. So it so happens to be that also I had the skills to build it because I'm sure there are many other teachers out there that had this same idea. They were like, why does Python have all those whistles and bells that are made for professionals? But then I also had the technical background to make a little prototype. So I built it in, in, the Christmas, in one Christmas break two years ago. I, I built a tiny prototype. Like, ah, oh, this is what it could look like. Yeah, and then other teachers also saw the value and then sort of became a thing. That's fantastic, really. And so many kids use Hedy these days. And so many teachers as well use Hedy to teach kids how to program. So congratulations and thanks for sharing and creating this with our listeners as well. It's good to mention as well that Hedy is also available in a number of other languages, not just English. I mean, the natural language, not the programming language. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, inviting listeners here as well to, to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. So we're available at this point in 18 different languages, uh, including some European languages like French, Dutch, of course, my native language, uh, English, German, Portuguese, also other languages outside of Europe like Hindi, Bengali, Arabic and Chinese, but that may be less the code week uh, the code week audience and it's not just a user interface that change if you want to you can also program in your own natural language so not for all languages but for example for dutch arabic french and spanish we support also programming in your own natural language so instead of print hello everyone you can also say imprimir hola and that also works so you can also program in spanish and if i may make a little bit of a, a call for help we're not available in all languages yet. We are free and open source. So if people, teachers want to use it, we will never charge them. But if you want to go 
like give back to us and enable more people to program in your own natural language, we are very, very grateful if people want to do translations for us. So we are very grateful if people want to volunteer to help us. That's great to hear. So listeners, you can go to the resources next to this episode in our website and you'll find a link uh, to what uh, Feline just mentioned. Feline, what other tools do you recommend? Tools that can be used in teaching so that students understand code better or maybe also that they can practice programming outside school? Yes, so that's a great question. So it depends a bit on the age. So for the really young kids, there's this board game that I really like. It's called Robo Turtles. And you have a little turtle. This is all a board game, so it's not electronic. You have a little turtle and you control it with arrows. So the, 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 the turtle goes four to the left, you know, and then one to the right. And it has to find a diamond on the board. And there are many interesting extra cards. So it's with very small kids, like four or five, just having them navigate is already tricky. But then you have ice walls and you have a laser. You have to melt the ice with your laser to, to cross an ice wall and you have boxes that you can push to so the maze changes. And I think this is a very, very nice way to practice thinking ahead. And it also has, I love this, it also has a debugging card. So if you make a mistake accidentally, you can say, wait, wait, I play this debugging card to fixed to repair my code so it's also practicing really the ways of the programmer after that of course you can start to think about scratch in my country is what we call group five so there you are like seven eight nine years of age that age group, you can really start to think about Scratch. And the benefit is that in Scratch, you have no syntax errors, right? So there's nothing of the quotation marks and arrows and stuff that is complicated. So then with Scratch, kids can get this sense of, hey, a computer is a thing that I can control. I am in charge here. I can imagine something and then get it to work in the computer. So for that age range, I think Scratch just really makes a lot of sense until you're maybe 10 or 11. And what we find there at that age sort of scratch loses its appeal because it is very child-friendly and it's very colorful and it looks really, really cool. But then once kids get 11 or 12, they're like, I'm a big girl or boy now, right? I don't want toys. I want actual real stuff. So this is the age where, where we typically then make the switch to Hattie because that is a textual language is what they're often interested in at that age. So this is a trajectory that I more or less see in elementary school. I see that that trajectory that you painted out, it's, it's also a way to slowly develop computational thinking from an early age and allowing kids to, yes. to develop that skill, right? Very much so. And to be able to understand that, yeah, they can also, as we said before, speak machine, not only speak Dutch, English, French, mm -hmm. Spanish, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. We've talked about how learning how to code and teaching how to code is not necessarily just like copy-pasting commands or copy-pasting text space. There's also many different ways to innovate in the way that we teach and that we learn programming and, and that there's a lot to, to take from teaching math and teaching natural languages. And so we've talked about code phonology and vocalizing code. We talk about gradual learning. Of, of coding and we've also talked about uh, the difference and similarities between teaching and learning coding and teaching and learning natural languages and we've of course talked extensively about Hedy which I invite our listeners here to, to check out and Ariana what are your main takeaways from, from today's episode? For me I think it was very very interesting to learn more about code phonology and how we can integrate it in our teaching practices of course I love Hedy I have used it and created some programs myself. I think it's a great programming language. This difference, I would like to say that the most important thing for me would be to have someone, a colleague, a peer, 
who will be there for you and help you when you are stuck and uh, support you, empower you to become even better. That's, I think, yes. a very good closing statement. Um, Feline, is there anything else you would like to say to our listeners before we, we close this episode? No, no, I don't think so. I'm just like happy that in, the, I don't know, 10 years or something that I'm working on programming education for this age group, it just seems stuff is happening everywhere and i know also code week is a big contributor to that so just like thank you for all your effort and thanks for all the brave teachers out there that you know they don't have maybe a background in computing and maybe they don't feel super strong in programming themselves because it's not something that they learned when they were in school and i'm just so in awe of teachers that despite their own lack of background they still try to teach programming and they succeed and they sort of learn with their students and every year they get better to get themselves to the point that they really also have this level in programming. I think it's it's so cool that, that teachers are seeing the value of programming and, and are just doing it everywhere. The most important is that they keep on doing that. This is why this year we're celebrating the 10th anniversary of, of Code Week. Celine, it's been a real joy having you answer our questions. I'm sure our listeners are also very grateful for all a bit of knowledge and your experience and expertise. Thanks a lot. It was really nice to be on the show today. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this Code Week podcast episode and are now in possession of new tools and ideas on how to make coding your favorite matter. And you have gained some new tools and ideas on how to make coding your favorite activity. Don't forget to check out the tutorials or learning bits that we have on the EU Code Week website. And we especially invite you to check out the learning bit that Valina has prepared on Hedy. It is available on the Code Week website. And translated into 29 languages. So that's also exciting. So don't forget, listeners, to tune in next week for a new episode of the Code Week podcast, where we take a deep dive into technology and everything also not technology. So goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.